Welcome to Real Talk with your host, Nick Hoyle. Proudly presented by Podcasts New Zealand. Welcome again, Brent. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So um, he's kind of become our go-to lawyer guy, which is which is really handy at this time, obviously. And um, yeah, today's kind of topic is is um, a reality check. Um, mm. You know, it's a very changed and, and tough environment and uh, some businesses aren't going to make it. And I think um, the purpose of today's core, uh, discussion is for us to have a bit of a bird's eye view about some of the options you've got as a business owner and what the onflow from choosing those options can be and, and uh, what that like for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so Brent, do you want to um, do you want to just kick us off with a little bit about um, about you know about the context of today, and then we'll, we'll dive into it. Yeah, so look, for a lot of businesses right now, it's going to be about business hibernation, right? So uh, business cash flow is turned off for a lot of people, and it is about hibernating through this period so you can come out and survive on the other side. Um, and for a lot of businesses, that's going to be possible, and there's some there's some really good strategies. Uh, that pe- that business owners can implement to, to do that. And for others, um, the reality is a bit more brutal and you know, liquidation uh, is going to be a reality for a lot of business owners. And it might not be today, it might not be next month or three months or six months, uh, but, it, but it is going to be the reality for some people. So uh, it is a hard conversation to have and, mm. you know, as a business owner, you really associate your own identity with your business in a lot of ways. And so if it fails, there's, there's a lot of sense of personal failure tied into that. And so people don't want to rush to that decision. And and to be fair, there is no need to rush right now for most people, but it's about just being informed about what that looks like and, and wait, what you can do now to position yourself in a more advan- advantageous position Mm. If you have to get to that point, totally. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I personally went through a liquidation uh, eighteen months ago, and you know, coming up to you, and it is a the, the the key thing that you said there is around your identity. That business was me. That was my life. Yeah, and um, it was all uh, real. Just a real turning point in my like, who am I? Was a question I was genuinely okay with. So. Yeah, but we'll we'll touch more a little bit on that as we get into it. So, I guess um I guess the first kind of uh, thing to discuss really is around restructuring and you know, uh, how that can be how that can be done to be advantageous. Yeah, so I suppose from a right now, business owners need to be thinking about how they're going to reduce their expenses, and you know the key one uh, for for a lot of people is the lease, which we've covered off. Um, another big expense is around your staff and and for a lot of business owners uh, and employees the uh, the reality is uh, they're going to have to restructure some of those roles um, and they're going to need to restructure some of the the business uh, that they have and, and have previously done uh, that might not be viable so you know, when it comes to staff you know my my recommendation is uh, you know, as a business owner as well, more, more as a business owner than as a lawyer, is to have a, a very upfront conversation with with staff and 
let them know what the position is because you know, we're being contacted by employees and employers right now. And you know, when, you, when you're talking to an employer, it's pretty brutal. They don't have an option. They have to reduce their numbers. Hmm. Uh, when you're talking to an employee, the automatic assumption is they're being a dickhead. Uh, you know, they're not giving us a subsidy or, or whatever it is, but it might just be that the employer doesn't qualify because they can't retain staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's about having a really upfront dialogue. Uh, and, and you know what? Some staff may actually come up with arrangements that work for them, for, for the collective in terms of a collective reduction uh, that, that kind of gets everyone a, a win. I guess you're uh, kind of dealing with a lot of uh, first-person perspectives here and, and it's really about getting them into understanding that business itself isn't looked at over and above each other's perspectives. Yeah, yeah. My, my view is as a business owner, um, if, if you can hibernate this business uh, and come out the other side and survive and thrive, then, then that, should be, that should be your goal. Uh, and, and unfortunately, for a lot of businesses to survive, it means reducing staff numbers because they are one of the biggest expenses uh, on the PNL. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then obviously that kind of does lead into that the conversation around redundancies. And I think um, one of the key things around that is is probably a, a bit of a you know, a topical overview of what's legal and what's not. Yeah, because um, yeah, they've so got to be done right. You know, they do. And my view, and it is only my view, and maybe one day I might be proven to be wrong. Um, but look, traditionally there is a there's a big long process that is required to to implement a redundancy Uh, and that could take a month it could take six weeks and that's not ideal and it's not practical in today's environment so my personal view is we can just take that process which might otherwise be four to six weeks and just truncate it right down and into you know under a week maybe a few days Um, Mm -hmm. and my view is as long as you meet all the critical steps um, then, then you're going to be relatively safe. So, you know, for example, to implement a, a solid redundancy process, you need to have a proposal. Um, that proposal needs to be delivered to staff and they need to have an opportunity to consider it. Um, once they've considered it, you need to give them an opportunity to consult. And so you should genuinely approach that and you should, you should consult the staff, uh, see if there's some alternatives that they've come up with, uh, and only then make a decision. So after that consultation phase, then you make a call and, and then you implement your decision. So as long as you have those key steps built into your process, I think we can just bring that the time frame for right down. Right, right. So and the important thing is here is um really understanding that um it's this is kind of a bit about it's about you know ensuring the boat doesn't sink on some levels, right? Yeah. So so um if there are other alternatives that you could take um, that will also mean the boat won't sink, um, consider and explore those options as well before you sort of cut someone free. Yeah. And and you know some other some other real quick ones are um, you know if you have creditors uh, that you can't pay right now, you know front foot that get on the phone, uh, let them know your situation and have a conversation about a payment arrangement. And I think you know a lot of Creditors are going to be fairly understanding, especially if you're front-footing it. And so, you know, having those conversations are going to be helpful to spread it out when once you're out of lockdown. Uh, and and also the IRD, because 
you know, if you've been a business that's been humming along and then suddenly cash flow stops, you're going to be struggling to pay your current IR, uh, your IRD obligations. And so, again, having a conversation with IRD, putting in a proposal around a payment arrangement is going to be the right thing for some businesses uh, mm-hmm. and also making sure that as part of that proposal, uh, you're getting penalties written off and, and, and making sure they don't continue to accrue because they're, they're an absolute killer if, if they're not, if the switch is not they're not addressed, off. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's about upfront conversations and deal with that, deal with the IRD upfront. Generally speaking, the IRD are pretty, uh, you kind of want to treat them just as another creditor and they're pretty good to deal with if you're good with them. Yeah. When you, it's when you duck, dodge and hide and um, yeah. don't communicate that, that, that they become a nasty creditor. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And so um, I guess the, um, you know, the next sort of the topic of conversation is a Around liquidations, and um, again, before we dive too deep, do you want to maybe just give a bit of an overview from a, again from a point what it means, what essentially processes, and then we can maybe uh, dive into some. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So look, I think the starting point is we'll just go right back to to the basics here. Uh, if you have a company, that company is a separate legal entity, and so. If it is put into liquidation, that doesn't mean that the directors are bankrupt. And, and I suppose that's that's a misunderstanding that I often deal with uh, when I'm talking to business owners. Um, they they think the company's liquidation is 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 a bankruptcy on themselves as well. And, and it's not. It's a completely separate process. Um, and so the starting point is the company's liabilities are the company's liabilities and the starting point is the directors are not liable for that. Uh, and, and of course, there's exceptions, uh, personal guarantees, which we'll come to. Uh, but the, the process for liquidation really depends on who initiates who initiates that process. And, and practically, there's only really two parties that will initiate a liquidation process. And one is a creditor and one is the shareholder. And uh, I think if you can avoid a creditor liquidation you should yeah uh, because they get to choose who the liquidator will be um and their professional advisors will give them a heads up on who they should choose and they're probably going to have a relationship with them in some way the professional advisor and the liquidator are going to have some relationship yes and they can then steer where that liquidation goes and you know if 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 i'm acting for a creditor I want a liquidator that I've worked with for nine years to be appointed because I know he's going to take an aggressive approach. Mm-hmm. And if there's an overdrawn current account that the director has or some some intercompany transactions, he's going to pursue it like a like a dog with a bone. Okay, where that money's um, gone. Yeah, and liquidators have phenomenal powers. I mean, they could go back six years for your drawings on your current account and and claw it back. Um, they can. They can look at transactions to third parties even for, for two years prior to liquidation and call that money back as a portable transaction. Um, they they can go to your bank, to your lawyer, to your accountant and get all of the information that you would be entitled to as a director and they can rebuild all of that knowledge. So having a feral liquidator in your backyard is, is really unhelpful. Um, mm-hmm. So if creditors... Uh, sorry, if, if shareholders think their company's insolvent and 
there's no way around uh, avoiding a liquidation, then they should trigger that process themselves and and get a liquidator in there that's mm. not going to be as feral. And I suppose that's a good point to talk about the obligations of liquidators because I think the way I the way I kind of lump them together is you have things that liquidators must do and then you've got things that liquidators can do. So if the company has assets, the, the liquidator must go and take possession of them, sell them, realize them and distribute it in accordance with the Companies Act, which is to themselves first. Um, <laughs> and, and then there's the list of priorities. Um, whereas if you give them a company that has no assets, then you're, you're going to be triggering the things they can do so they can investigate where it's gone. And mm. you, don't want, you don't want a liquidator in there who's overzealous, right? You want someone in there that's just going to take their role uh, seriously and and economically, because it could could cost a hundred grand to pursue matters at court, uh, and then the claim's only worth eighty grand, and it all just goes to liquidators' fees. So what's the point? Um, so yeah, you want someone in there that's going to be proportionate, uh, and and I suppose there is a perception that a shareholder appointed liquidator is going to be friendly to the shareholders. And so if you're a creditor, often you're going to want to get them out as well. So it really depends which side of the fence you're on and, and what strategy you're going to implement. I, I know if if a shareholder appoints a liquidator uh, right for a creditor, I'm trying to get them out because... And I was going to ask, so what are some of the conditions that someone might consider a liquidation? So, that, you know, I think we're, you know, what position would you need to be in and what... What would be some of the things that might lead you to making that making those? Yeah. So look, right now I, I don't think people need to make the call. Um, right now we're in lockdown. Um, court processes have slowed down quite significantly, and so there is some breathing space. But but eventually uh, there there is going to be a need to consider those steps, and you know. If you're a director and you're trading the company and it's insolvent, you're, you've got duties. And if you trade the company and it's insolvent, that's reckless trading. And you can actually be personally liable for the debts that you incur uh, on behalf of the company during that period. So if the company is insolvent and you can't pay the debts as you're incurring them, then you need to, you need to pause and you need to seriously consider the future viability of of the business and, right. and actually have a have a solid solid plan and because you know hope is not a strategy and and I think a lot of people uh, a lot of us Kiwis are optimists and and we, we we just push on in the hope that it will get better. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll share a little bit of my story and and um I'm too deep into the details, but it got to the point where I felt like I was gambling and. I felt like I could fix the bit. So I'd go in every day and I'd bust, I'd bust ass. Um, and some days the cash register brings through a whole bunch of cash and you're like, yeah, we're on to it, we're going to fix it. Have a week where you just didn't. And, um, you know, um, I was talking with Adam last night. It, um, kind of like you, you get a little bit addicted to the rush, kind of like on some levels like a junkie does. And... Um, so I, you know, um, so what I echo what you're saying there is if you 
if you're aware of a situation, take the advice early rather than reaching it out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I suppose you know you put in place these corporate structures to to protect yourself. I mean, that's why we have a company. We don't we don't trade under our own name for that reason. And if you take these steps and you push it too far, then you really lose that corporate shield and, and you're vulnerable to, to all of those creditors. And, and I suppose it is a gamble and, it's, and, and often it's not your money you're gambling with and, and, and the people whose money is being gambled are not aware of that risk and they're not participating in that risk. And so, you know, that's, that's often who, who, who needs to be considered. And so I guess that um, really, really good segue now into personal guarantees, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I suppose that's the that's the uh, Achilles' heel of of most company directors is uh, we are terrible at reading terms and conditions. We what we do is we read two parts: what is the scope of the work and how much does it cost. And everything else is just like scroll to the bottom and sign here. Um, and <laughs> I, I want supply. Countless... I'll do whatever it takes to get supply. Yeah, yeah. And especially like if you're a like a builder, for example, and you're getting building supplies, it doesn't matter who you get those supplies from. They all have personal guarantees, so you can't even negotiate it out in some cases. And but but in other cases, it you know. You could cry, you could look at it and you could cross it out and sign it and send it back and you know what a lot of suppliers would just accept that and trade with you and you've gotten rid of that personal risk because mm. often the suppliers are not checking actually whether you've crossed anything out either and so yeah. uh, you know if they want to then trade with you on those terms and you haven't given a personal guarantee that's on them and so you know my my first piece of advice is read the terms that you sign, understand whether or not you have personal guarantees, because most people I talk to, when we when we have a consult around insolvency, one of the questions I ask is, do you have any personal guarantees? Uh, nine times out of 10, they say, no, I don't sign personal guarantees. And nine times out of 10, they've got personal guarantees. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just ask them about who some of their suppliers are, and I'm like, well, you know, surely Bunnings has a personal guarantee and, and then we identify them pretty quickly. So understand where your personal guarantees are. I recommend keeping a database of creditors that you have personal guarantees on. So you, you have a, a very good understanding on your personal obligations as well. And um, make sure you pay people, especially that have personal guarantees because if the company fails, uh, they will often issue you a demand letter and you know, sometimes pursue you right through to bankruptcy if you don't pay. Very true. Yeah, and, and, and I suppose one other thing that I see is you've, you might have a board of directors and they've all signed a personal guarantee. One guy sells his shares into the group or, or, or leaves for whatever reason and the company continues to trade with that supplier and you know, two, three, four years later, the company fails, and that creditor issues a demand letter on that on that director who's 
you know, like the business. Yeah. yeah. And it's like three, 400 grand. And he's like, what the hell? I've been out of this business. Um, the reality is he's going to be liable. She's going to be liable for that guarantee that they've given. And so if you're leaving a board, you need to be thinking about what personal guarantees have I signed and putting those creditors on notice. Hey, if you continue to trade with the company beyond this point, I'm, I'm withdrawing my personal guarantee. Mm. Um, it's not going to get rid of any previous trading they've done, but going forward, if they trade, then it's, then it's, it, it reduces your risk. And, and if you can get them to actually accept that, then even better. And um, Brent, you, you um, sent me a message the other day. You've got a free download for anyone that's on our stream. Yeah. Do you want to give us a little yeah. bit of a run over that? Yeah. So look, I'm I'm doing. Um, so starting point is we we do free thirty minute legal consults at Norling Law, and those are getting booked up every day at the moment. And we're answering a lot of the same questions. And so what I did was put in this book pretty much all of the questions or the answers to all the questions that we are getting at the moment. And it is about business hibernation. So it's about the things you can do uh, to, to hibernate, to reduce your expenses and increase some cash flow uh, over this period. And it's available on our website. Real Talk with Nick Hoyle, brought to you by Podcasts NZ.